Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another weekly episode of the Stand Up Tragedy podcast. My name's Dave and I'll be guiding you through a few more of the performances that we recorded at the Edinburgh Festival back in August and we're going to be sharing one of them with you today. In Edinburgh we performed at the Fiddler's Elbow as part of the PBH Free Fringe and we did 11 shows over two weeks. We had amazing variety of acts, musicians, poets, comedians, sketch comedy, fiction writers, true storytellers, a magician and more. Many of the people we had on in Edinburgh came up specially because they performed at our night and they wanted to come to Edinburgh and do some more tragedy with us. But some of them were completely new to us. Today's episode features a debut performance on the Stand Up Tragedy stage. To catch up on the performers that we had, you can listen back to them on our podcast. We're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes, and we're on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, which is a free app that you can download onto your smartphone and carry a little bit of tragedy around in your pocket with you. So now on to Nat Lertzimmer, who, as I just said, was performing for the first time with Stand Up Tragedy. She's got an amazing following in the comedy scene and she's written a book that you should definitely check out. And she's part of the sketch group Jigsaw, as well as having her own solo show at the Free Fringe this year, which was called Here She Be. We love it when established performers embrace what stand-up tragedy is all about. When we ask people to come and be a part of stand-up tragedy, we're hoping that they'll be tempted to try something different to what they might normally do in their regular sets. Nat did just that and we spoke to her before the show about how she approached it. I think it's such a good idea. I love, I love themed stand-up shows because as a stand-up, it's a great place to take bits of material that might be a bit more unusual, but you know they're funny. Deep down, you feel like there's funny there. It's just in a standard stand-up room. Understandably, an audience is out for a night out and they just want funny. They just want to be made to laugh easily. So at nights like this, you can play around with a slightly more unusual, unexpected angle and really like mine it, find where it's really funny until it's like properly watertight funny and you can take it in front of a of a an audience who are there for more um, straightforward stand up. I think I think tragedy can be funny because I think a lot of stand up is playing with status, and I think if you get your status high enough as a comic, then you can bring it crashing down, and that can be very fun for people to like watch you fool, especially if you fool with like some some sort of swagger or some sort of uh, melodrama. I think as long as they don't feel sorry for you, it's sometimes a a, a fine line to tread. Uh, and I actually wrote a book about living with my parents previously and it's very much along that theme that like it's quite pathetic stuff to happen to you but I think people really tapped into the idea of like your life being such a pathetic shambles but finding it funny in a really kind of bleak self-pitying sort of not really self-pitying but like um, yeah in finding the funny in that so that's what Nat thinks of stand-up tragedy now let's have a listen to her performance stand-up tragedy Hello everyone, how are you doing? You well? Yeah. Good. Um, uh, sorry, I know I sound awful. I sound absolutely awful. It's been a bit of a rough fringe and you can always tell uh, when you're looking a bit rough when you get flyered for your own show. <laughs> so as a sign, you don't look like that Photoshop's lovely anymore. And I'm just a week away from, oh, you must be so proud of your daughter. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, it's really nice to be here. You seem like a very nice audience. Um, my first gig in Edinburgh was a bit rough and uh, I got the worst heckle I've ever had in my life at this gig 
worst heckle ever. It was the middle of the front row and I had an empty wheelchair. You've got to really hate something <laughs> to achieve an empty... I mean, you don't achieve an empty wheelchair casually. That is quite a difficult thing to do. It would just stare in at me. I wanted to believe a miracle had happened and there would be a man flying around on the ceiling going, Jesus is back! But no, realistically, a disabled man crawling to the bar, giggling to himself. And thank you, Edinburgh. One all, mate. I kept the chair. Um, I'm, uh, it's really nice to be here. I, I will tell you some of my more tragic things. Uh, I've been in love once. Uh, when I was 26, I was in love. I thought I was in love at 20, but he had a gun. <laughs> I wasn't coerced, but I was very impressed. I think it addled my mind a little. It's one of those funny things you don't realize you like until you see it in action. And I was 26 and I was in love. And we were sickeningly in love. We were so happy. Like we had our own little language. We'd wake up every morning holding hands and it's sickening. I can see you hating me. Of course it's sickening. It's all over now. Don't worry, it's all fucking over now. Now I've got a fish. <laughs> That's what I've got. Not even for company. I bought a fish so it wouldn't be the saddest thing in my flat. <laughs> I bought a big fish and a very small bowl. <laughs> now I felt a bit better about myself. I'm, I, that is a joke. I obviously would never hurt Mr. Floaty. <laughs> All three bits of him. Now, yeah, no, I've been in love once and it went wrong. And that's a 100% failure rate. As far as I can tell, I have a 100% failure rate on love. I wouldn't bungee jump on those odds. You know, no love for me. I don't trust love. It does not last. I know this from two incidents that happened when I was younger. First, uh, I was in a car with my friend Catherine, who's a lovely girl but a shit driver. I don't know if anyone else has a friend who, when you're driving, uh, you're sitting in the passenger seat, you're pumping on an invisible brake. just isn't there. I really felt for my mum when my mum taught me to drive. She was very big on the invisible brake. My mum was also, though, the woman who angled every mirror in the car towards her and then said, I'll tell you when it's safe to pull out. <laughs> and apparently the resultant crash was my fault. Jesus. Um, we were driving down a country road, bombing really fast, and there were two geese at the side of the road. They were adorable. They looked like salt and pepper shakers. And they were, I mean, massive ones, obviously. <laughs> Unhelpfully big, if anything. But they were stood there, and my friend Catherine said, do you know geese mate for life? Isn't that amazing, she said. Geese mate for life. They find a partner, and they stay with them for the rest of their life. I just think that's beautiful. One goose! Now there's one goose stood at the side of the road. It's all very well to find your life partner, but a Citroen Picasso could just come along and take it from you. One goose stood at the side of the road going, Jemima, what will I tell the egg? <laughs> we were going to go to Egypt as usual this summer. No. <laughs> That's love. My mum tried to cheer me up after the breakup, um, and she, she, my mum likes to go to cemeteries because she likes gardening and being nosy. <laughs> Apparently there's real crossover in this. And uh, she, she took me round a cemetery, and uh, she showed me her favourite gravestone. My mother has a very bleak sense of humour, but this did make me laugh too. There's a gravestone that is two intertwined stone hearts. Lovely. In one is a lady who died in the 1920s. In the other, nothing. There's nothing in the, I know, right? Some dick has stood that woman up forever. <laughs> she has forever stood outside the cinema going, he's probably just held up at work. <laughs> what a prick. 
Even if he remarried, chop yourself in half. Go to both. <laughs> if there's an afterlife, you'll sort it out somehow. Jesus. I mean, either that or mum and I agreed. Possibly that woman died single and her family remained very optimistic that she'd meet someone. <laughs> Bury a shallow, she might pull. People love a bit of vintage. <laughs> I, see, I, I do tragic stuff in my stand-up. It's also very disgusting. That's the thing. That's why I don't often gig in brightly lit rooms, because it can make me feel like I've done a fart in a lift. <laughs> I definitely have your attention. Do I have your respect? <laughs> That's the old fart in a lift conundrum. My mum is responsible for some of the bleakest moments of my life. And she's always trying her best. She's always trying to help. For years, she inflicted camping holidays on me, which, I mean, I, I was so glad when I realised we were poor because I thought she hated us. <laughs> I could see no other explanation for that shitty experience of, like, sleeping in a plastic bag in the middle of a field. And like, it's, a wee, it's like a cheese dream. Camping makes no sense to me. It's people in their pyjamas walking through a field holding a dirty saucepan and a toothbrush and smiling, and this is apparently their best 14 days of the year. How shit is your life? <laughs> really, you know? Go to Basra if it's that bad. Oh, this is nice. A change is as good as a holiday. I think, I think my worst was my 25th birthday. Uh, when I was 25, I was unemployed, and I was watching a lot of cable TV. My favourite TV show was called Monkey World. Uh, oh, there's always one person who's like, I sometimes struggle to sleep. Yes, I'm really late at night. Monkey World does pretty much what it says on the tin. It just films a monkey zoo. And you watch the monkeys swinging around and you go, monkeys don't have jobs. Monkeys were fine. <laughs> I'll be fine too. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> so that's what I did for a year. And on my birthday, uh, dad said, for your birthday, we're going to have a big party with all your friends. And I said, really? And he said, ha, lol, no. He knew me too well. He can have my birthday parties in a lift, pretty much. Not a farty lift, good lift. And my parents said, we're gonna go to Monkey World. And I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna get to meet my favorite monkeys. Gordon the orangutan and Elizabeth the chimpanzee. She was very dignified, she was just great. And we headed to Monkey World. It was a four hour drive, it was all the way down in Devon. And when we got to Monkey World, we discovered one horrific thing, which was that the program I'd been watching for a year was a repeat. It was filmed 10 years ago and all my favorite monkeys were dead. <laughs> and some confused keeper took me round where they were buried, <laughs> thinking that somehow this would be nice for me. That's how I saw in my quarter century with my dad going, oh well, death comes to us all, happy birthday. <laughs> and to add insult to injury, they had in the gift shop, they had mugs with different um, monkeys' faces on and all my favorite monkeys were reduced because they were dead. So my dad loaded me up with memories of this shitty, shitty occasion. And we headed off home. We stopped by the beach, actually. We had fish and chips on the beach. And we were sat there, fish and chips, loads of ketchup. And a strong breeze caught it and smacked our food right in our face. And we just sat there covered in fish and chips and ketchup. And another family walked by. And I realised now, it just looked like somebody had, like, happy slapped us with a meal and then run away. <laughs> happy birthday. Um, I, I'm aware that doesn't quite cut it close on tragedy. Uh, nothing tragic has ever happened to me yet, touch wood. If it does, guys, I'm right back here. That's fun, isn't it? No, my, my, my life is currently a bit dreadful. Is dreadful the word? Dreadful's the word. Because I split up with my ex and uh, we now work together every day in the same sketch group. 
So you just see them every day. When you're trying to get over someone and they're just there. And like, really, the added, the added kick to it is that um, I think he's seeing someone now uh, because like, he, he usually puts his phone on the table when we have writing meetings. And he started taking it off. And I think that's because a girl is going to call him or text him and he doesn't want me to see that. And, you know, I, I have to be fine with that. That has to be, that has to be okay. Um, so I hope she's a nice person. I hope she's kind. I hope she's lovely. I hope she's generous and, and beautiful on the inside. <laughs> but just the inside. <laughs> I'd like it to be just the inside. I'd like it to be the sort of girl, ideally, who wears vintage dresses, proper vintage, you know, like big brown flowers, crispy with sweat. I hope every time he undresses her, it smells of the past. And by that, I mean me. What an ungenerous way to begin. I know. Uh, end, I mean, yes. I know. I know. Uh, imagine if that was Groundhog Day and I just began again. Would you politely sit through it again going, oh, okay, sure. Let's run this again. Why not? The comedian has brain problems. Oh, dear. It's been so nice kicking for you. If you want to come see me, I'm on at the counting house. Um, I'm not always so sad. There's some sad bits in, but, you know. Um, I think one of the saddest things I have is a prop. I... When I drink, um, if I, I drink, and I, I like to buy two boxes of wine, rip them open and get the plastic bags out of them, nestle to them together and pretend I'm being breastfed. <laughs> I find that very comforting. I've since built this prop and put it in a massive bra. And you know what? I've been through six boxes of wine that way. It's very comforting. That's, that's my, my take home. That's not, it's not a great take home. All right, try this one. If you're ever lonely, ladies, um, just shave one leg. Just shave one leg, and then you'll end up with a gentleman's leg. When you feel it brush against your lady leg in the morning. Oh my God, hello. <laughs> Someone slept with a man last night. Such a lovely way to wake up until you realize you don't remember him. I've been Natalie Seymour, you've been lovely. Good night. Nat can be found online at www.natlertzema.com. That's N-A-T-L-U-U-R-T-S-E-E-M-A. And apologies if I've mispronounced her name. She's at Nat Lertzema on Twitter. And she's taking a break from touring at the moment, but her sketch group Jigsaw has a comedy series on BBC Radio 4, which just finished broadcasting. So expect something to happen soon and look out for it on Listen Again if it ever comes up. Now, do you have an interest in tragedy? Because we're always interested in bringing new talent to the stand-up tragedy stage. If you're interested in performing with us, drop us an email. Our address is upstandingtragedy at gmail.com. And we're not just looking for performers, we're also looking for people who write to be read and people who draw pictures, who create cartoons, who write journalism, anything that can be contained in a fanzine because Stand Up Tragedy is going to be starting up a fanzine to go with our live nights and we're looking for submissions. So again, that's the email to send stuff to if you have things that you think would work for what we do. Now, they've got to be tragic, but we're also bringing something new in because Stand Up Tragedy is changing. From December the 12th, we're going to be having monthly themed nights. One month will be at the Dogstar in Brixton and then the next month will be at the Hackney Attic. Tickets will cost £5 
in advance or £7 if you want the fanzine or on the door they're going to cost £7 and £9. Our first gig back is going to be called Tragic Christmas. It's on the 12th of December and it's a fundraiser for the amazing organisation Arts Emergency. So check out Arts Emergency online. We're really pleased to be able to raise some money to help them, to help people who wouldn't necessarily be able to, without that assistance, get involved with the arts and the humanities. After that, in 2014, it's going to be a different theme every month. So when you're submitting, think about the themes that we've got. I'm Charlie, stand-up tragedy blogger, comedian and occasional host. If you want to keep up to date with all news and events for stand-up tragedy, search for Stand Up Tragedy on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. We're at Stand Up For Tragedy. And we're going to have some more podcasts for you. They'll be released very soon. So keep following the tragedy. And until then, this tragedy is over. This podcast was produced by Bryony Hawkins with audio production from Stephen Harvey. The music comes from Sam Wilkinson, who you can email at radiohuan at gmail.com. The rest of the music was produced by George Brufton. It's time to go. It's time to go.